coming in as Bloom. Bill with Dyke centered it. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour going. It is Tuesday, February 6th, and we are underway. Vickers from NHL.com. Pat Steinberg along with you. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to CalgaryLockandSafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts as we get this hour going. Hello, Vix. Hello, Patrick. How are we? We are doing well. Very good. Been a uh, busy last week or so, and it feels like we're kind of... So much for right, a week off. Yeah. I know, hey? Right smack dab in the middle of what's going to be a really busy stretch on and off the ice for the Calgary Flames. Let's go inside hockey this hour for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. And it feels like we are approaching decision time for Noah Hannafin and the Flames. The offer's on the table. The offer's been on the table. That, you know, in a lot of ways hasn't changed all that much. It's been on the table since the fall. That eight-year deal, mm-hmm. $7.5 million AAV. We've known about this for quite some time. And then in late October, you know, the team and Noah kind of walked away. Noah kind of backed away and said, all right, let's, let's maybe have a little sober second thought. Then they've reconvened over the last number of months and weeks. But still, we're waiting on a decision. And still we're waiting on whether or not there's going to be a contract extension for the Flames defenseman or not. But Vicks, we're less than five weeks from the deadline. Friday will be the four-week mark up until the trade deadline, which goes on March 8th. And they're going to need an answer at some point from Noah. Here's Elliot Friedman earlier this week. This is from Monday's 32 Thoughts with Jeff Merrick. But here's Elliot wherever you get your podcasts. You'll remember eight times seven and a half was the offer. He was close to taking it. They lost a couple of games earlier in the season. He got cold feet. Things were in limbo. They started talking to him again, but they want an answer. Um, It's been all-star break. They've asked Hannafin to think about it. Their first game back is in Boston, where's where, which is where Hannafin's family lives. I'm assuming they're going to get an answer one way or the other. So that could lead to a decision. It's fair for them to want an answer at this point as well. And that's not to say that they're upset or should be upset with Noah. I'm not trying to suggest that at all because I don't think they are. I don't think they should be. I don't think anybody's done anything wrong in the slightest. In fact, I think Noah Finn, uh, Noah Finn, Noah has been, I do that every once That's in a while. That's awesome. I love it. Noah Finn. Uh, I, I think Hannafin has been a consummate straight up pro this entire way through. He has been honest. He's told him where he's at. He's told him when it's been here or it's been there. There's been transparency. He's been a pro on the ice. He remains uh, an outstanding teammate. So, and having said all that, it's fair for the Flames to be like, okay, we're we're starting to need to know what you're going to do so that we can make our decision. Because at some point, they're going to have to start truly testing the market, right? There's there's the testing the market, taking the phone calls, and 
Yeah, what would you, you know, theoretically, if fifty-five was available, what would you, what would you like to, uh, what would you like to give up, or what kind of ballpark could we be talking about? We still might re-sign him, but what would you? There's that too. He's not going to sign. We're trading Hannafin. What are you giving us? Let's go to another team. What are you giving us? And that's what happened. I fully believe on the Elias Lindholm situation. I think at some point they hit a demarcation. I think it was sometime on the last homestand where they went from, all right, let's see where this thing goes with the team. Let's see how things play out. Let's see if they show us uh, enough for us to kind of re-engage with Lindholm or, or maybe start to try to bridge the gap there. And then they ended up losing four straight on that homestand in pretty ugly fashion the last two. And when they had an opportunity to move up the standings, they went the opposite direction. They lose to Columbus. They just barely beat Arizona. They just barely beat Chicago. And I think at some point there, I was like, okay, I think we know where this thing is going. And it's time to hit the pavement on a Lindholm trade. Next thing you know, there's a deal at the All-Star break. Sometime in the next few weeks, they need an answer, similarly with with Hannafin, I believe. If not sooner, from my perspective, because you've had some time off if you're Noah Hannafin. You've had some time away from the team. You've spent some time with family, and you've really been given an opportunity to reflect. And over the All-Star break would have been kind of the time, if I'm Craig Conroy, I would ask Noah Hannafin to seriously consider where he sees his future. And it's kind of a tough situation if you're the player and you're leaning, well, I'd like to explore some things, but I'm also quite happy in Calgary. This is an all-or-nothing scenario. This is There's no middle ground here. This is, you're either going to re-up with us and likelihood of you spending a very significant chunk of the next eight years as a member of the Calgary Flames, mm-hmm. or you're starting brand new. You're starting all over with a new franchise, a new city. You're getting accustomed to new teammates. So there's really no... Oh, well, maybe we'll just kick this decision down a year from now or so. No, this is the, it's eight years with the Calgary Flames or it's going to be a trade. And then in the summer, it's going to be seven years somewhere else, pending a side and sign and trade scenario. I'm not going to completely rule that out, but just for the black and white. And this really does seem like a situation where there's no animosity between player or team or GM or anything like that. There's been no difficulty with Noah Hannafin. He's been a great citizen inside that room. At the same time, if you're Craig Conroy, you do need a decision sooner rather than later for everything you've just outlined. Because if a team comes to you on Wednesday, February 7th and says, I'm going to give you this asset, this asset, this asset, and this asset for Noah Hannafin, and those are specific, there's names attached to it, there's picks, rounds attached to it, there's prospects attached to it, whatever it is, that is a concrete offer. And you need to know in a limited amount of time what Noah Hannafin's going to do. And if this is a situation where the Calgary Flames are, we prefer it if you stayed, but we need to know if you're going to go, or if this is still a 50-50 thing with the Calgary Flames, I'm more leaning towards the, we need to know if you're committed to us, we're certainly ready to commit to you, but we need to be able to pivot on the fly because we're not going to have the time required to maximize what we can get for you if you're telling us your decision on March 7th, for example. Yep. Yeah, and I don't think that there is anything wrong for them to maybe turn the pressure up or the or or just to start maybe being a little bit more forceful or or emphatic. Well, it's on, not like this is out of the answer. blue. We've known about this situation since last summer. We've known yeah. about it since last April. He was asked about it at Locker Cleanout almost ten ish months ago. So this isn't something that's just crept up or. 
you know, he, he's a guy that's signed for five or six more years with a full no move, and the team's going to him saying, hey, we need you to reconsider your future with us. This isn't a situation that's just happened overnight. This has been developing over the course of almost 300 days at this point. So it's fair for the Calgary Flames to go, hey, we're getting close to needing your, your final answer on this one, so we know how to proceed accordingly. Here is Frank Saravalli, who joined us uh, last hour, hour one of Tuesday's Flames Talk, our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, uh, with a little bit more on where things might be going on Noah Hannafin. I had said going into the break with you that that's one of the key things about this all-star period is not just an ability for Craig Conroy to sit in his office with his staff and, and suss these deals out, but also to really get a, a concrete answer one way or the other about Noah Hannafin. If you're bringing him back and he's signing, great. Get the deal done. And if not, as you mentioned, transition to this period where, hey, we're, we're now entering trade mode. Everyone knows he's available. Make us your best offer, and we've got about a month to get it done. And I, I will say that I fully like I, I'm quite confident that Craig Conroy has a handle on this thing. I'm not I'm not worried about the Flames losing control of this. I'm not worried about them getting into a spot where they've painted themselves into a corner and there's a risk of them losing Hannafin for nothing. I'm not I'm not worried about that in the slightest. In fact, I, I think Craig Conroy has himself a very set out plan. I think it's black or it's white. It's you're staying and we're going to get this contract done and we're happy to do it. We embrace you with open arms. You're going to be an ambassador for this organization. Uh, we believe that, you know, having you and Blake Coleman signed long-term committing to Calgary is a great way to attract other free agents, specifically other American free agents. There's that, or then there's white. And that is, we're trading you and we're going to maximize you and we're going to do everything we can to get as much possible back for you the exact same way they did with Elias Lindholm. I don't really think it's all that different. The only difference is, is that it feels like there is more of an open door, especially from the Hannafin camp that maybe he could come back and that maybe they could get something done. It just felt like they were too far apart on the Lindholm front I don't think we're talking about Hannafin and the Flames being far apart on a contract. I think we're talking about Hannafin needing to decide what he wants to do here. And that's that's fair, too. Like, a Northeast United States guy who has spent a good chunk of his time in the Southeast United States and the Northwest part of the continent, you know, maybe going a little bit closer to home is something he wants to do. Maybe a Boston or a New Jersey or uh, uh, a New York, one of the New Yorks, like somewhere closer to home is something that appeals to him. And if that's the case, you, you don't begrudge him at all. The same way you don't begrudge the Flames for needing that decision from him in the next few weeks here. Yeah, I'll defer to you and your information on this, but this doesn't seem to me like a negotiation tactic from the Hannafin camp no, trying to squeeze out an extra 250 k This is really Noah Hannafin sitting down, thinking amongst himself and his family members, where do I really want to spend the better part of the next decade. Is it with the Calgary Flames? And he's certainly seen what the organization has to offer, and he's quite comfortable here, and he must be comfortable in his role. He's second on the team in uh, time on ice. So it's a matter of, is it Calgary that I really want to spend the next eight years in? Or is there another location potentially? And he's not going to know exactly what those locations are. That's part of the gamble and the risk of becoming an unrestricted free agent is you don't exactly know what the offers are and where they're coming from. It's a roll of the dice a little bit. So you've got your certainty in Calgary and you've got your uncertainty 
in unrestricted free agency. And you've got to balance that comfort that you have versus maybe there's something more that he wants and can find elsewhere, but he's not going to find out what that is until July 1. I don't think that this is, oh, I wonder if I can squeeze Craig Conroy for another 250K. Yeah, the only the only way that that happens is kind of the, the sign-and-trade idea right. that you're talking about or the other way that it happens sometimes, and that is team gets permission from other team to start talking contract, like Mark Stone. When Ottawa was trading Mark Stone five years ago, six years ago, was it six years ago? Five years it's gotta ago. It's got to be five. 2019, yeah. Uh, when Ottawa was trading Mark Stone, it was, hey, Vegas really interested. We think we're going to get what we want from Vegas in a trade. Um, Mark agent talked to Vegas about a contract extension. He gets dealt and immediately uh, eight times nine is signed by Stone and the Golden Knights, right? So maybe that's the case too. Maybe Hannafin and Team X, they his agent starts talking with Team X because Craig Conroy and the Flames have given that permission. Then they, yep, we like this contract. If deal happens, we'll sign it instantly. Then goes back to Craig Conroy and, and he tries to make the deal happen. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really do think the Flames have got a handle on it. I really do think that the the same philosophy is true with Hannafin as it was with Lindholm and as it probably will be with Tanev here. And that is, if you're staying, awesome. Or if we decide we want to keep you and you want to stay, awesome. If not, we got to move on and we, we've got to maximize you as an asset. Um, it was I like the Lindholm deal, I think gives a pretty, pretty good blueprint. Yeah. And I think if you're a Flames fan, does it not give you a good amount of confidence that the general manager has this under control and, and has a pretty good path forward in terms of how this is going to happen? That was a great tee up for a question I was going to ask you because I was going to pose the question, does the return for Lindholm entice you if you're playing general manager of the Calgary Flames to move Hannafin more? Because I'm sure we've debated it. I've heard the debates outside of this station where it's like, who gets more in a trade? Is it a pending unrestricted free agent, Elias Lindholm, or a pending unrestricted free agent, Noah Hannafin? Is it the number Is it the number one center that's maybe playing more like a, a really elite number two? Or is it a defenseman that's playing like a number two that's able to be on the penalty kill, play five on five, he can be on the power play if you need him, and eat up 23 minutes a night? Like, I think there's a real debate over in a vacuum, which player returns you more. And after seeing what Craig Conroy was able to get for Elias Lindholm, I wonder if there's a temptation to go out there and see if you can find something similar on Noel Hanfin. Because we talked a lot over the course of the last 10, 11 months about these are deals you have to get right one way or the other, whether you're going to be signing, whether you're going to be trading. If you're going to be trading, you can't whiff on the fastball right down the middle. You have to hit a home run. Craig Conroy hit a home run on Elias Lindholm for me. Yep. And again, without Craig going to market and knowing Noah Hannafin's intention so he can start specifically talking names, because I don't think you get to that point with another GM until you're firmly aware of what Noah Hannafin wants to do. But you got to think he's Craig Conroy's got a little bit of a ballpark in terms of what he can return for Noah Hannafin. And what he was able to get for Elias Lindholm makes me curious what the market is for Noah. Well, and, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if if they end up going that direction with Noah and a deal like a, a trade is made here. Wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about a comparable return. Uh, he's a younger player. That's a true, too. You're going to get more prime years if you acquire him. And especially if you're able to assign him to a sign and trade and get an eight year, there's more runway there's more value to the other team. So in theory, you should be able to garner more. 
And, you know, I guess it depends. And, and Vancouver's not even using Lindholm as a center to start. <laughs> yeah. And they might. We'll see. I mean, the way that Vancouver uses JT Miller and Elias Pettersson and, and now potentially Elias Lindholm, like, they, you're a forward. And, and right now, Elias Pettersson's playing center. We've seen Elias be very good on the wing. We've seen JT be very good on the ma- wing, using their first nine names, because obviously I'm good friends with both of them. No, we've seen Pettersson. Well, that's and why you Miller. went out to Vancouver during the All-Star yeah, break, right? Even them. though they went to Toronto. Yeah, they were at the you All-Star. You were still your house-sitting for them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Pettersson plays the wing, and Miller plays the wing, but they're both playing center right now. Lindholm, we know, plays center very well, but also has had a lot of success on right wing. So, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got kind of the late 20s two-way center iceman who has got a great shot and has scored 30 and 40 in this league. And then you've got the top four defenseman, probably profiles most as a 2-3, mm-hmm. kind of a really good 2-3. I don't know if Hannafin's ever a 1 but he's a top pair on a lot of teams and a high-end second pair on any team. And that's that, for his salary, he's still grossly underpaid. And so you're getting good value this year on him. So yeah, I, I think that the, the value for the player is fairly comparable. Yeah, you and you hit a home run with the first one. And I just wonder if Noah Hannafin doesn't, I was going to say pledge, pledge isn't quite the right word I'm looking for, but commit to an eight-year deal with the you Calgary Flames. your allegiance, and you will sign in blood. That's a little aggressive. But he's from, you need... He's you, from Boston. Long story short, to, to kind of circle back, you need an answer from Noah Hannafin on what his intentions are so you can go about your business the right way if you're the general yeah. manager of the Calgary Flames. Let's read some texts at 960-960. It's Steinberg and Vickers as we're underway this hour on Flames Talk. Uh, this reads, uh, I really don't think it makes any difference if Hannafin officially tells the Flames one thing or another. If they get a deal that they love, you move them if he hasn't given you a signature on the dotted line. Doesn't matter if that's tomorrow or at the trade deadline, you do it. And I appreciate that. Like I appreciate that line of thinking, and I think there is a lot to be said about that type of um, kind of razor's edge pragmatism where you do it, you've got... But I don't think that's where the Flames are. I think the Flames' preference is to re-sign the player, which is why I think there is going to need to be some sort of pivot, whether it's a straight-up answer from Noah or whether it's just the Flames making a decision to go, we're going into trade mode, we've made our decision. I, I, I don't think that it's quite as... Simple is the wrong word. I don't think it quite cut and dried yet when it comes to this player. Yeah, if the intention of the Calgary Flames was to deal Noah Hannafin, you're not sitting around waiting for Noah Hannafin to decide whether or not he's signing an extension. You're going through extensive talks with whichever GMs from other teams are interested, and then you're taking the best offer, and you're saying, thank you, Noah, we appreciate everything you've done for the organization, and we wish you the best of luck. The fact that they're asking him to make a decision is essentially asking him to make the commitment to either be a member of the Calgary Flames or let us go and explore other options because we can't let you go for free. Uh, this reads um, from Mike and Airdrie, Hannafin will get you a first-round pick, but definitely not a return like the Lindholm trade, which I thought was nothing great. All are wild cards. Well, yeah, that's that's what of, draft picks and prospects are. That's what a futures trade is, is they are wild cards. You put your faith in your scouting staff and your development staff from that point on. 
They got a first-round pick, though. They got a high-end prospect in Bristavich. So I think they did pretty well in the Lindholm trade. And, yeah, they got an extra couple of wild cards. But for a pending UFA, I'm, I'm on the other side, Mike. I thought they did really well on that trade. Um, this uh, reads on Hannafin. Uh, does Lindholm, not does Hannafin rather, have a full no movement? If so, what if he says no to both a trade and a re-sign? Well, lucky for you, uh, they don't have to worry about that. He's got a modified no trade. Eight teams are on his list of where he won't go, so he can't block a trade to 24 teams. Uh, so there's limited protection. Um, so the Flames have, what, 24 of 32? 70 or 75%. Three quarters of the league to uh, thank you very much for doing the math for me. They have three quarters of the league to trade with still without Hannafin having any say in what happens. And chances are a lot of the teams on that no trade list aren't teams that are in a position to want to acquire Noah Hannafin without a sign or trade deal. Like I, like I can't imagine the I Columbus Blue Jackets going out and spending the assets exactly. to bring Noah Hannafin only to have Noah Hannafin walk. But the in teams much. that we're talking about, I doubt Dallas, I doubt Boston, I doubt New Jersey, I doubt these are teams are on his uh, on his no trade clause list or his no trade list. And there's only eight of them. Uh, this from Mick, who says it's going to be much harder to replace a number one or two center like Lindy than a number three D-man like Hannafin. Yes, he's younger. I'm happy with a first and a prospect. Um, this says, if I were a GM, I'd be much more willing to give up that package of assets Lindholm got if I'm getting a player that factors into the team's long-term future. Vancouver's just trying to buy a cup with that package. Um, this says, I do agree that if the Flames love a trade, then of course you trade Hannafin. However, if it's just simply that Hannafin doesn't want to re-sign here, the Flames might still have to go with the trade that they don't love, and that's probably what they're trying to avoid. That comes from uh, Jevin in Airdrie, which I also think is a really good point, is by waiting a little bit longer and waiting as late into the season that they have, they're also maximizing a trade, whether Hannafin wants to stay or doesn't want to stay. They are giving themselves an opportunity to get the most possible for him. And that's the route that you've got to take. And the sooner you get a decision from Noah Hannafin, the sooner you can go about your business and the sooner you can resolve all this, the earlier, the better. If you're Craig Conroy, from my perspective, because what if there's two or three suitors that suddenly aren't willing to wait around to, to wait to see what Noah Hannafin's decision is and suddenly take themselves out of the market for a defenseman that can be a number two or a number three, as you mentioned, that can touch both sides of special teams, play north of 20 minutes a night. You just The sooner the better for the organization, and, and from my perspective, the sooner the better for the player as well. I would really like to thank Greg and Martindale as well for helping us a little bit with uh, um, our math. Did, did I get it wrong? No, was, no, okay. no, 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 no. I, I ah. did. Greg and Martindale says Calgary will not trade Hannafin to Calgary, leaving 23 teams. Good point. I yeah, don't he think, wins. I don't think Noah is wasting one of his eight, eight no trade clause spots on the team he plays for. Yeah, I won't accept a trade to the same team. I'm a good point by Greg. Appreciate that. I can't do eight of 31 in my head. Sorry, Greg. Yeah, I'm, I got to do A little the less than three quarters. Um, this says, well, he's got about a week to decide. I'd be happy to keep him, but if he hasn't decided by now, he doesn't want to be in Calgary. This reads, if Noah decides to sign by the weekend, will that affect Tanev to stay? I believe we'll know by Saturday from Noah. Um, I don't think Tanev at this point um, really impacts Hannafin. I think Hannafin and, and the way that they're going with him is in a vacuum, and I think Tanev, I, I they're going down the trade road. And 
I'm not the only one that has eyes on whether or not Tanev plays all four games on this road trip, not even just because he gets traded, but maybe held out and, and maybe they sit him for a game to make room for a trade, all those types of things. I would be at this point stunned if Tanev does resign, not because I don't think he's a good player or that he doesn't have value on the team. I think he does and is, but it just feels like the way things are heading, it's pretty obvious the way this thing's going to go. Yeah, from my perspective, it's been trending towards trade for the better part of a couple months. Now, again, to your point, not that you don't want him as a member of the Calgary Flames because he checks a lot of boxes for things you'll be looking for for this team going forward. Yep. But I think the return for what you can get for him might be too hard to ignore for a team that's heading in sort of that retooling phase. Uh, we are well underway this hour on Flames Talk, and that's your look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary, top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you, only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, it sure is good to see Jacob Pelche back with the Flames, hey? And and not only just that he's been recalled and he's back around the team, but Vix, it's, it's good to see him back on a forward line and come Tuesday night against the Boston Bruins back in an NHL game. Just good to see Jacob Pelche back because Flames fans have missed him. And I just think as a whole, it was a really disappointing preseason story when he went down with that shoulder injury and in what his second preseason appearance against the Seattle Kraken at uh, the Scotiabank Saddledome. It was, um, it was really sad to, to see him not only get hurt, but hurt to that severity where, you know, he's missed more than half of an NHL season as a result. Vix, it'll be Tuesday night versus Boston. Jacob Pelche's first NHL game since April 12th. No knock on what April 12th meant, but it'll be Pelche's first meaningful game since March 20th of last season. So like we're closing in on 11 months between important NHL games for Jacob Pelche. He and Kevin Rooney returned to NHL action at the same time Tuesday night. They had shoulder surgeries at about the same time in the fall. It's Rooney's first NHL game in more than a year. He hasn't played since December 5th of 2022. They're going to play on the same line together uh, with Walker Dewar on the right side. Some pace that could be... Uh, uh, could be found on that line, but what does Pelche bring in his return specifically to the lineup? What are we what are we expecting from Jacob as he comes back in Tuesday night? I don't think you can understate how much infectiousness he's going to inject the lineup with. Like, just think back to when he was playing last year and the sheer energy that he brings. The you know taps on the head, the consoling of teammates as then a twenty one year old. He's just got this personality that radiates through the locker room and on the bench. I'm kind of disappointed in a sense that his first game back is on the road as opposed to being at home at Scotiabank Saddledome because I would have loved to have been in the dressing room for you know, just after the morning skate and just getting the chance to talk to him because I guarantee you he was absolutely buzzing with energy. So there's it's rare to say this about a player his age, and he's now 22, but very limited NHL experience. He's got that energy that can uplift anybody in that room. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie, a second-year guy, a five-year guy, or a 10-year vet. 
he's got this aura about him that is both comforting and exciting at the same time. Like he's just infectious with yeah. his love for the game and his approach. And it's something that just permeates through the rest of the team, in my opinion. So I, I think he brings a few things and that's the number one thing. And what you just talked about was it was missed last year. You know, I think he played one of the outside of April 20th. So they played 81 meaningful games last year. I think he played once in like the final 19 or something like that, or whatever it was. Um, where he got in uh, once or twice, like he was healthy, scratched a lot, and then after March twentieth, was scratched the rest of the way. And and I believe March twentieth was that blowout loss in L.A. Where I believe, if my memory serves correctly, he was chiefly responsible for goal seven or eight against, and that he coughed the puck up. And it ended he was up, minus two that night in twelve minutes of action. And and one of them was a GV mm-hmm. that ended up in the back of their net, which okay. The rest of the team also helped in that, that loss, but I digress. Um, and then he didn't play again until game 82. And I, honestly, when, and I, I get it, Daryl's a guy that was very adamant about trust and played the guys that he felt most comfortable with. And, you know, it's not really all that unlike a lot of coaches in this league. And just so happens that, that Daryl, with younger players, it took him maybe a little bit longer to trust them than some other coaches might. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame head coach. He gets to make those calls. But I thought, I, I disagreed with that one because I thought that they missed him immensely. And not so much just the 200-foot play, which I think is strong, and the pace, which I think he brings. But I think they missed what you were talking about. How many times in that final stretch did they come out flat? Did they come out and and look like they were lacking intensity in first periods or in games where they fell behind? Did it just feel like they waved the white flag? I think a guy with Pelche's type of, I love the word you use, infectious personality. I think he naturally just brings intensity to a group whether he's meaning to or not that's the type of guy he is and and I honestly think they miss that so that's number one but I also think he brings pace Mm -hmm. Uh, his two-way game is strong as a winger always has been but it's that pace another guy who can move and another guy that can play fast on the wing and that also is an important thing so those are the things that I think he brings most to this lineup and I wonder if there isn't still a touch of offensive pop there like he was a proficient scorer at the AHL level he was certainly a prolific scorer That's back my in junior question about him. and I don't know if this is necessarily where he's gonna show it but I think it's a good natural spot to start because we've seen the Calgary Flames and Ryan Huska audition five or six guys across that fourth line and have yet to hit on a combination that has really given that trio and identity it's really not just click to the point where okay we're gonna roll four lines or you know we're gonna we've seen time and time again that bench gets shorter and shorter as the third period comes together and that's in large part to the fourth line not being able to find their identity and what ryan husk is looking for so i do think there's some offensive pop there i know he wasn't super productive last season but to your point i'm not sure he was necessarily in a great spot to reveal that and i don't think he was ever going to win over the previous coach but he has scored and he if i'm not mistaken he's been an ahl all-star as well so there is just this underlying sense of i'm curious to see what jacob pelche is you mentioned he's missed over half a season so i don't think it's necessarily a fair assessment to judge him after game one. But think back to training camp and prior to his injury, 
he was one of the players. I don't know if he was never ever necessarily penned in, but heavily penciled in to be in the top twelve amongst the forward. Group. I think he was and, penned in, and one of those guys that Craig Conroy is like, we're not going to bring in tryout players. They weren't we want to see the PTO road, We want right? to see what these kids can do, sink or swim. And I firmly believe Pelchier was a player that was going to be amongst the top 12. Where would he slot in the lineup? I'm not necessarily sure. Keep in mind that this was prior to Connor Zeri bursting out, Pospisil bursting out. Um, this is just a starting point for Pelchier. But right off the hop, I know he's going to have that energy and that infectiousness. And I think as he gets up to NHL speed, perhaps we'll see a little bit of that production come with them. So there's two questions that I have now when it comes to Pelche. One is how do they, to your point, extract that offense out of him? Seven points in 24 NHL games. How do they extract more from him offensively? Because he has been productive at the Q level, the major junior level, and at the American league level. So how, I'm not, and again, I don't think you're expecting him to be a point-per-game guy at the NHL level, but how do they get more out of him offensively? That's one question I have. And the second question I have, uh, this text comes in from Mick, says when Pelche gets up to speed, he needs to be in the top nine. And I think that's where he profiles best down the road as well. I really like the idea of Pelche long-term on a line with Michael Backlund, for instance. So... How do you make that happen? It might have to be, it, it might not happen right away. He's going to start on the fourth line, understandably so. But that's another question I have is how does he start to move up this depth chart? Because I think long-term, he's a middle six NHL forward is, is where the Flames would like him to be. Yeah, long-term, I agree with that assessment. Off the hop, I can see him spending a good, considerable couple, two, three, four weeks in the role that he currently has. But at some point to me, and just looking at, how the roster is configured as it stands on Tuesday, February 6th. Well, he's not going to unseat anybody on the top line. He's not, to me, I'm not ready to break up the Backlund, Coleman, Mangiapane line to experiment with Pelche yet. I wonder if this is going to be a situation where Pelche and Pospisil are going to fight over that second line. Well, label them as you will. I'm labeling it as the second line. But I can see a situation where Pelche and Pospisil are either in a revolving battle or just a general whoever's going is going to take that spot kind of situation because as it stands right now, he's the only one in the top nine possible that I think both a profiles as, you know, being a player that you could also put on the fourth line and have a lot of great success, mm -hmm. but I don't see removing any of the other eight at this juncture for the Calgary Flames. So if you want to put Pelche in a position to reveal some of that offense or see whether or not he has some of that offense at the NHL level, it certainly has to be in a top nine role. I just don't know necessarily the configuration, how to get him there outside of that spot to the right of Kadri, to be honest. And that's not to suggest that possible has nope. done anything to lose that spot. I just see that that's the natural competition that we could see next month. I, I do wonder my, I don't know if it's my spidey senses or, or what, I just wonder if there's another forward in the top nine that, that might be moved between whether it's now on the deadline or now in next season. Uh, I, I wonder about that. I wonder if there's a top nine winger that, that might end up being in that conversation. I know a lot of people point to Coleman. I don't think he's the guy myself. I do wonder a little bit about Manjapani if, if there is something there. Um, 
and and uh, a different place for him between now and next season. I, I wonder that because it has been a little more frustrating. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who's making five-plus million mm-hmm. dollars on a, on a third line. Is that necessarily how the team wants to go forward? And I'm a huge Manjapani fan. I think the guy is a, a really, really strong part of this group. But I do, I do wonder a little bit if something happens between now and the deadline or something happens between now and next season with the top nine, which could, again, open something up for a guy like Pelche. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. To me, the other wild card in the top nine as it stands right now is Kuzmenko, but that's simply because we have yet to see him play a game for the Calgary Flames. You mentioned potentially either in the offseason or before the deadline, another winger moving, yeah, yeah. Or another that's forward, fair. pardon me, moving. If he catches fire and a team comes to the Calgary Flames and yeah. says, hey, we really like what we've seen over the course of the last three weeks of Kuzmenko, would you consider moving him? Well, yeah. then you go talk to the player again, and it's going to be a contender that picks him up. It's not going to be a situation. So suddenly Kuzmenko might be in a better spot to compete for a Stanley Cup or just he's got the opportunity and he's maximized it in Calgary to springboard him to the next opportunity. So there's a spot there. Th- th- those are the kind of things that will play itself out over the course of the next month. But to me, Kuzmenko is another wild card, but only simply because we haven't seen him in a, in a Calgary Flames jersey yet. You mentioned Kuzmenko, and he will also make his debut on Tuesday night on a line with Jonathan Huberdeau and Yegor Sharangovich down the middle. And I'm really fascinated to see how this line, or if this line clicks, A, and B, how Ryan Huska uses this line in the immediacy. Because you're taking a Selkie Trophy-type player out of your lineup and replacing him on the same line with an offense-first winger in Kuzmenko who has been criticized or there have been observations where his defensive game is not his strong suit. And then you're moving your other two-way responsible guy or the remaining really responsible two-way guy in Sharon Govich. You're moving him to center, a position he hasn't played a ton of at the NHL level. Didn't play it much in Jersey. Has played like six or seven games down the middle this year in a fourth-line role. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a large challenge for that line to take on the two-way responsibilities that the Lindholm line was taken on before because you did have those really responsible guys in Sharon Govich and Lindholm, who's one of the best two-way centers in the league to do the heavy lifting and also had Huberdeau who was holding his own on that line too. Now it's Sharon Govich down the middle with two guys that are a little bit more offense first. I want to play this from assistant coach Kale McLean, who uh, chatted with Derek Wills a little earlier on Tuesday for uh, part of the coaches show, which we play on pregame shows. And uh, assistant coach Kale McLean talked a little bit about Sharon Govich and, and perhaps the challenge that he's got playing center ice on Tuesday night. He's played uh, a fair amount of games. You know, he's played more wing in his career, but he has played a fair amount of games uh, in New Jersey uh, at center. And we know that he's a 200-foot player that we use on the penalty kill. And so we're confident that he's a guy that can take care of those duties all over the ice. And so there's that factor. The uh, idea that he has had some experience with us in the middle of the ice earlier in the year. And then, you know, there's the ability to skate from Yegor is, you know, he's the guy that, does has good edges. He's he's good at getting off the wall as a winger and getting to the inside of the ice. 
So putting him in the middle of the ice offensively, I think is just going to give him a little bit more space even to be able to uh, utilize that open ice in the middle of the rink, but also to be able to utilize his wingers. So uh, we're confident that he's a guy that can step in and, and be a reliable center for us and, and also be a, a good part of, you know, what is Huberto and Kuzmenko, who you can see there's a pretty good offensive brain collectively on that line. Mm-hmm. So we'll make sure that we get them into good positions. And maybe right off the bat, Vix, it's not a lot of defensive responsibility. Maybe it shifts a little bit. We know what Backland, Manchpani, and mm-hmm. Coleman can do. Like, And if they have to take on even more defensive responsibility, if they have to take on an even heavier matchup role, if they have to start more shifts at their own end of the ice, and they already have, and that line starts the most time already in their own end, they'll be fine. And we know that. We also know that despite Nazem Kadri's line with Zarian Pospisil getting the bulk of the top nine offensive high ground, and what I mean by that is the, the most offensive starts to, to start shifts on the team, at least in the top nine, we know Kadri can play it really well in the two-way game too. He's, he has been a solid player at both ends of the ice for the better part of his career, and I don't think that is gone. And maybe you put a little bit more responsibility on the Kadri line and free up Sharon Govich, Kuzmenko, and Huberdo for a little bit more offensive high ground. I'm fascinated to see how it all plays out. To extend that a little bit further, this is where you really need your fourth line to click and connect as well. But to go back to the top line, I'm peppering the Sharon Govich, Huberdo, Kuzmenko trio with offensive zone starts as much as I can. Now, on the flip side, this trio is starting on the road. And they're not, Calgary Flames aren't going to have the luxury of the last matchup. So while they may be starting in the offensive end, if the Boston Bruins want to roll out their top line or their second line and try to drive play 180 feet the other way, then you're going to be forced to put this line into some defensive situations that maybe they're not comfortable with. But at the same time, I'm, I'm interested to see in how Sharon Govich tackles this responsibility. Because as you mentioned, Kuzmenko isn't necessarily noted for his prowess in the defensive end. Huberto's kind of the same way. So you're putting a lot of the heavy lifting on a guy, as you mentioned, that doesn't have considerable NHL experience being a center and considerable NHL experience being, again, label the lines as you will, but a quote-unquote number one centerman in the NHL. So I'll be watching to see how he balances the offensive side of the game, which has really flourished over the course of the last couple of months. He's really stepped up and shown why he was a guy the Calgary Flames targeted in a return for Tyler Toffoli at the draft last year. But how much is he going to have to sacrifice that offense to provide that 200-foot insurance for his wingers? We'll see how it goes. He's Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. Thanks to Azam Ali Nanji and Cam Hughes, our outstanding producers this hour as well. As we start to wrap things up, this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.